Welcome to another episode of the Rosen Podcast. I'm Chloe, your host, and in today's episode, I'm chatting to Liam Mulvin about his life as a postman. If this is the first episode you're tuning into, then you can find a listen to the podcast at rosenpodcast.com via Apple Podcasts, via Spotify, and pretty much any podcast app. All you need to do is search for Roseland Podcast. And at rosenpodcast.com, you'll find links to any resources we mention as well. So here's my chat with Liam. Hello, Liam. Hi there, Chloe. Um, I'm 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 looking forward to chatting with you because I spent my most of my career in the e-commerce and mail order sector, and I'm kind of at the end that, that creates orders, and you're at the end that makes sure they get to the person who created them. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like the full circle uh, here. Today. So I, I have huge respect for for postmen and delivery men because they're an, a crucial part of what what I do day in day out. So. You've been in working for the Royal Mail for quite a while. So how did you how did you get involved as a, how did you become a postman? Right, I um, well I left school um, not intentionally. Um, I left under a bit of a cloud. Really, uh, I was in my A level years, and um, I left in the September of nineteen seventy one. Didn't have any game plan at all. Didn't have a job to go to. Didn't have any thoughts of what to do but that Christmas after three months of no work at all I got a job as a Christmas casual working as a Christmas student and I have to say I loved it from the very minute I started uh, the team I worked with um, in a small village they were great I did deliveries with them went out on parcels thoroughly enjoyed myself and applied there and then to be a postman Unfortunately, I was only still only 17 and a half. I had to wait until I was 18. So I went uh, worked for a builder for six months until I was old enough, and then I applied. And um, three months after my 18th birthday, I marched in as a postman. And I, that was 1972, October. And I've never looked back. I'm still there, still enjoying every minute of it. And it's been a blast, really. Not many people can say that about their job, especially when they've been doing it as long as you have. It's uh... yeah, yeah. My, my poor old dad. He kept his advice always was get yourself a job with a pension, and um, I don't know whether that frightened me or not. But I, I got a job with a pension. And thought I'll stay with it ever since. But in all seriousness, I've thoroughly enjoyed every day I've worked. The, the banter amongst the staff, meeting people. Um, just the work we do I, I i just slotted into it and it was great I and, loved it. and you didn't start down here in cornwall did you? you you started north of the tamar i did yes um i lived in farnham in surrey and i started there as a postman i did 39 years in farnham um farnham's where my mum came from dad came from ireland mum came from farnham and um, we sort of stayed there. And, yeah, I did 39 years there. I, I went through um, the first bit I did was uh, you sort of reserve postman where you pick up all sorts of different duties. So I did those. Then I managed to get into a rotor, which was um, town deliveries. Mm -hmm. So I was a town delivery postman for 10 years. And then I became a driver. And I did driving duties for four years. 
and then I got promoted to um, a supervising PhD, which is a postman higher grade, which is very grand in, in the title anyway. It just means you don't go out on delivery. You're in the office working with registered mail and things like that. And I did 20-odd um, years of that mm -hmm. before I decided I wanted to go back out on the road again. So I um, uh, there was a rural duty coming up in a little tiny village called Bentley. And um, I worked for there for 10 years. And then we had the opportunity to move to Cornwall. So uh, it was easy for me. I just transferred straight down. And um, after a year working in Truro as um, sort of a reserve duties there, I was extremely lucky to get offered St. Moore's delivery. Mm -hmm. And I've been the rural postman there for the last nine years now. Gosh, and you, mu you must have seen a lot in nine years of working as the postman for St. Moore's, but you must have seen even more changes, you know, for working for one organisation for 49 years. Um, yeah. There may have, there, and, and it's an organisation, you know, we all know has gone through some pretty big changes, certainly in the last 10 or so. So, so what, what, how, how did you, how, what were the biggest changes, I suppose, in that time from, from your perspective as someone inside on the, on the coalface, as it were? When I joined, I joined the GPO. So it was a general post office. It was very much a service industry. Everything was geared towards being a servant of the public, if you like. So um, nobody owned us. The only people in charge were the government. Um, we had a monopoly. We ran at a good profit. Um, we had no problems at all in that respect. Um, historically, we've been working into the same sort of regime for best part of 150, 160 years at the time. And it really was, I, I was, the equipment I used, the, the whole premise of being a postman, if I'd have gone back 150 years, I would, I'd have walked into an office exactly the same as the one I was in in Farnham. Everything was, it just stayed the same, mm -hmm. but you did your job. The main thing was that um, customer service was first and foremost. Then um, the first changes that came in were when the government decided we might be worth selling on. Uh, at that point, the Queen, who's our boss, she didn't want us being sold, and that's when we got split into telecoms, uh, raw mail letters, raw mail parcels, and counters. We were kept as sacrosanct. So other bits got sold off, but we remained as we were. But um, then we lost the monopoly, and that was the moment when things changed. Mm. If you can imagine, if I, when I was working in... I worked in a town rotor, which meant I delivered to loads of offices in a, in a town area. Didn't cost Royal Mail any money to send me out apart from my wages because I just walked up the road one side, back down the other, pushing a trolley. But the post I carried was valuable. It was mm -hmm. registered mail, uh, recorded mail, and bulky mail, lots of mail. Some companies were getting two, 300 items. 
the money I earn on my round paid for the three or four deliveries delivering out in the rural area to um, isolated cottages at the back of beyond. So that was how we worked as a, as a company. When we lost the monopoly, bits of us got sold off. So they opened up the market for people to deliver following day mail, which reduced our um, income. Uh, uh, Delivery companies were allowed to deliver to um, just businesses. We're under a um, a scheme with the, with the government as an enshrined in law that we have a universal delivery program. We deliver to every single address in the country for the same price every single day, six days a week. Other companies didn't have that caveat. So as a result, we, we started hemorrhaging money because people were able to cherry pick the earning parts of our business, if you like. Well, it's, it's, so, it's amazing as a consumer that the Royal Mail has to deliver to the whole country for the same price, you know. But but as a if you know if you put one's business hat on and the fact someone in St Mary's on the Isles of Scilly can post, you know, a parcel to their Outer Hebrides for the same price as someone in London can post the same parcel to someone else in London. There's yeah. There's a big cost differential to the person doing the delivering, which, which is why you know those who came in to buy bits or to compete against the Royal Mail went went for the profitable bits, didn't they? They went for the London to London, not the Isles of Scilly to Hebrides. They did do, and um, that that's where things started to go wrong for us as a business because um, a lot of our rules originally when I joined Royal Mail. It had just stopped being part of the civil service. Most of our rules and regulations up until sort of the early 1970s were not rules and regulations to the company, but were enshrined in law. So we, by law, we have to deliver for the same price right across the country. We have to deliver six days a week. It's not a post office rule. Royal Mail didn't turn around and say, you will work six days Mm -hmm. a week. The law says we will work for six days a week. None of that applied to all the businesses coming in. Um, As an example, uh, when I was working at Bentley, I used to deliver to a small trading estate. Now, I was delivering possibly 30, 40, 50 items a day to each business that was there. Once it started opening up, I was reduced down to four or five items a day to each Mm. business. But with all the same overheads. All the same overheads, but different companies were going in, but they were only delivering to the trading state. Then they would drive eight miles up the road to the next town and deliver to a trading estate there. But meanwhile, I'm expected to now go to Granny Smith up the road and deliver her one letter, um, which these companies wouldn't entertain doing. Mm. And that was when it started to change. We, we, couldn't, we couldn't support ourselves, if you like. Yeah, because all the, then, all the profitable bits 
you know, like your walk in the town where you just delivered to everything, which was funding the three rural routes, all the profitable bits, all the money went out of those, but you still had to do all the all the low value stuff. Yeah, we did. And um, it made life very awkward all around. Unfortunately, as well, up until the 70s, we had been run by the government. So we had a postmaster general in charge. Each government had a postmaster general. I think, if I remember rightly, the last one was Wedgwood Ben. Anthony Wedgwood Ben. I might be, I'm not 100% certain on that. But, of course, if you're a, a government, leading a government, the last thing you want to do is bung the price of mail up mm. uh, to upset your people for an election coming up. So we had dropped down as regards the price of mail. Um, so when it came to the time when we were cherry-picking and taking all the good stuff away, all of a sudden we're not getting much for our postal delivery anyway, and now we're losing what was sort of paying the bills. And um, that's really when all the problems started. And But... Sorry. There's some big, been some big changes in more recent years to try and fix that. I remember when pricing in proportion came in, you know, we had to yeah. start worrying about the size of things, which I think made made quite a difference. And other other changes to make things a bit better for the Roma, like the whole downstream access scheme. Have they done much to make things easier, or is it still a lot more it, challenging than it was? It it is. Uh, more challenging the downstream access is very good but we get paid a very small amount for mm. each item and i know in fairness these other companies process the mail they send it to us to deliver the last little bit but if you can imagine we might be getting 50 pence an item less than we would have got if you would posted it straight into royal mail so we're delivering a lot of stuff that is almost undercutting us, if you like. Yeah. Um, we are making money on it, and not a vast amount, but we are making money on that. But it, it's it's small. The um, the biggest thing for us, I think, at the moment is um, parcels and packets. That is where we are probably starting to claw back a little bit. But our actual core industry of delivering mail to people, which is still basically our core material, um, that is starting to die off, I think. Mm. We're just getting the stuff anymore. I think it's um, in my professional life, I've been having a lot of conversations recently with people about how how the pandemic is going to change customer expectations when it comes to delivery. And obviously the fact everyone's in, which which makes the delivery of parcels an awful lot easier when people yeah, are, are in and not at work. Um, you know, so we've been debating, is this going to lead to people less worried about a next day fast service and more interested in a, an economical service or a, you know, economical for the business service which doesn't necessarily have the tracking and doesn't necessarily have the speed element which i think i think if that habit plays out then i think that is going to be good news for the royal mail you know royal mail standard delivery without the tracking and all the rest of it that can only be be good news for more parcels heading in your direction if the consumer trend goes that way i think so there were um i remember a few years ago when um 
uh, online shopping started, there was some conversation that um, there was six billion pounds worth of business out there um, for everybody to lay their paws on. Well, that was the best part of 15, 20 years ago. It's a huge market. Um, and in fairness, raw mail could not carry no. the amount of stuff. There's no way. As um, When you look at something like, well, if you take Amazon as the uh, top of the heap, um, constantly, 24 hours a day, there are vehicles going in, taking parcels. But it's not just us. We wouldn't, we, we, we'd buckle and collapse. So every single parcel company goes in, takes stuff out. Even Amazon is delivering their own stuff now because there was no company big enough to cope with it. Um, I think with, with the emails, with the way businesses run today and so much of it's done face-to-face um, -face, um, with video conferences mm -hmm. or sending through emails, a lot of our work has changed. The parcels and packets have become hugely important to us. Uh, during this current epidemic with the with the coronavirus and everything, um, the other postman and I in, in St. Moore's, it's been like a a very long Christmas. Yeah. Whereas, whereas we would normally at Christmas, you've got two, three weeks where you are delivering parcels and packets like a madman. We've now had 10 or 11 weeks of that, mm. and it's been relentless. Yeah. It hasn't dropped at all. But the letter mail has dropped, yet we still seem to be working. We're just as busy. Um, but, it, it, yeah, there are changes in that respect. Um, I'm a bit of an old dinosaur, so I kind of like the idea of people writing to each other, and I kind of like the idea of delivering letters. But I can see these changes coming in. And um, conversely, though, with, with the um, pandemic, there have been more people handwriting to each other, children writing to granny and granddad as part of their schoolwork. Um, so they've written letters as part of their English lessons. Um, and people have actually, we've had more stamp mail, I think, in the last 10 weeks than what we've probably had in the last 10 years. <laughs> Business mail and advertising has slipped right down mm. as far as I see from what I'm delivering. But like I say, parcels and packets through the roof. Well, Liam, I, we could we could carry on with our what's happening now, but what I'd love to know is the question you must get asked a lot. You must see some fascinating things on your rounds. Are there a couple of stories you'd like to share with us about interesting things that have happened to you over the years whilst you've been delivering? There have been some great things. Um, the public are wonderful. You, um, the more I meet people, the funnier things can be. Um, one lovely old lady left a, a note on a front door to tell me that she wasn't in. Could I take the parcel around the back and stick it in the shed? So I toddled around the back with a parcel to find two shed doors. I opened the first one. And it was her outside toilet. She was sitting on the outside toilet <laughs> reading her newspaper. I just thrust the parcel at her, apologised, and 
bolted, really. I, I didn't really know what to say. And uh, I can still see the look on that poor old darling's face. And uh, the, the next time I went round the back, there was even a notice on the proper shed saying, in future, please deliver any parcels in here and not next. So that was, um, you know, that was a shock. Mm. Um, all sorts. It, 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 it can be quite funny. A, a, a small child, I, I knocked on the door and the child opened the door. And I said, is um, your mum or dad in to sign for this? To, to have a four-year-old tell me in a very posh voice, uh, daddy's at work, mummy's in the bathroom doing a poo. <laughs> His shriek came from behind the door of a the poor woman shouting out, I told you to tell him I was busy. So I, <laughs> It seemed more politic for me just to sign for the item, leave it on the floor and scarf. Uh, but little things like that, they make your day. Children are wonderful. Customers are great. It's, it's just a laughable way. And Liam, I believe you've written a book about such stories. I have. Um, I, I wrote a book called um, Don't Worry, He Doesn't Bite. Um, members of the public, if, if, if they have a dog, they tend to use three phrases. The first one is, don't worry, he doesn't bite. The second one is, well, he's never done that before. <laughs> and it's normally closely followed by, what did you do to upset him? <laughs> and um, those are the three phrases I hear more and more from people with dogs. Uh, so that was the title of my first book. And it's just, um, it's mainly stories about what I see in the countryside, but I did put in some post office stories. Um but since then, I've written another book, and that is just post office stories, all sorts of things that's happened over the last 50 years. Because I think for some people today, uh, the very fact I started work in 1972, for some people, that's practically the Dark Ages. Uh, it's almost Roman history. So they, they're they interested in what I did. So and, I've written that book. And the book that's available now, Don't Worry, He Doesn't Bite, um, where can people get hold of that one? Uh, it can be bought online from Amazon, uh, Waterstones, people like that. They also sell them in Waterstones. I can't tell you how chuffed I was to go into Waterstones in Truro and see the book sitting on a shelf there. I, I was that imagine. proud, nearly bought it myself. <laughs> and, um, and anybody locally, um, Andy still is selling them at the uh, post office in um, St. Moore's. So uh, you can always get a copy there if you want. Marvellous. And we look forward to the to the next book coming out too. So Liam, thank you so much for, for coming on. It's been fascinating chatting with you. Um, thank you. Thank you, Chloe. I've enjoyed it. So Liam's book is called Don't Worry, He Doesn't Bite, Tales of a Country Postman. And you can get a copy from Waterstones, Amazon, where it's available as a Kindle ebook as well as in hardcover, or from St Moore's Post Office. For more chats with local authors, do have a listen to episode two, where I'm chatting self-publishing with Alan Durham, and also episode 16, where we're catching up with the award-winning Philip Marsden. Lindsay and I are always on the lookout for more people to interview, so if you would like to come on the show and talk about something interesting and vaguely Rosalind-related, then um, the first step is to drop us an email. You can send that to rosalindpodcast at gmail.com um, and include whatever your idea and what you'd like to chat to us is but also any questions you've got because um, I'm sure you may have some and we're happy to answer them 
Now, everything we do is recorded in advance and nothing goes out live. So there's no need to be nervous about it. It's all very easy and we try and try and make it as straightforward as possible. And enjoyable too, actually. Um, and you don't even have to be willing to come on the show. So if the idea of coming on the show and, and chatting with me scares you. Um, don't know why it would, but if it does, that's fine. Um, if that's the case and you've got something you'd like to, to submit, then either record it yourself and send us the MP3 file or email it to us and we'll read it out for you. Whether you're wanting to get involved by being on the show or you just love being out there listening, I hope that the existence of this show and the fact you can listen to it is helping you feel a little less alone and a little bit more connected to our wonderful community in these strange old times. If you want to make sure you hear the rest of the shows, because we temp- we put one out every Saturday, then do bookmark rosenpodcast.com and look for us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or your usual podcast app and subscribe. And wherever you listen, it's completely free and always will be. Be kind and stay safe.